You're listening to The People's Podcast. I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. What was it? Yeah, tell. Definitely tell me about that, because I know that had to be an odd situation. It, Jay, it's the most stressful thing because how are you talking about black social injustice while there's social injustice being being happening right in the in your home, right in where you work, and not talk about it? It's like it's this weird uh, uh, skeleton in the closet that we just constantly just try to not talk about, and it's like, well, what's going on with the case? Oh, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just focus on your job. Okay, listen, I know I got to make a check, but I'm reading people's texts. Everything I was tweeting, Jay, there was a certain point. Everything I tweeted, people were like, that's not a real person. Ebony owes us money. That's, you know what I'm saying? Like, and everybody, and I'm not rightfully so. There are people that were angry, Jay. So how dare Ebony continue working when you haven't paid these people? Like, I mean, it was so weird for me to, to like I said, multiple celebrities while I'm having conversations with them, are like, but Josh, did they pay their writers? So-and-so, I, I really don't know, but I would love to work with you. Do you know how bizarre that is? You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Hey now, (laughs) my name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 99th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. What's happening, everybody out there? Welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. In fact, we're getting that much closer to a milestone. My name is Jay Scott Smith. This is JSC Radio. Welcome to the podcast. Be sure to, of course, support the show on all all kinds of social media. We're on Twitter, of course, at JSC Radio. You can follow me at J Scott Smith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's. S-M-I-T-H. You can follow the show on Instagram at JSC Radio. I'm on Instagram at J Scott Smith as well. Same spelling as, of course, on Twitter. I'm Real J Scott Smith on Facebook. And I can't I can't do this without shouting out each and every one of the podcast providers. We're talking about Apple Podcasts, iTunes. We're talking about SoundCloud and Stitcher. We're talking about the TuneIn app. We're talking about CastBox. We're talking about... Uh, Player FM, Podcoin. Be sure to get on Podcoin. I have a message about Podcoin later. And of course, iHeartRadio and Spotify and Google Play and wherever else you get your damn podcasts, baby. So much thanks goes out to everybody who supported, especially episode 98. Episode 98 became maybe the second most controversial episode I've done of this podcast, aside from episode 23, which admittedly a little bit of that's going to get touched on during this, this particular podcast as well. But primarily speaking, thank you once again for all of your support, all of your love. You made it one of the most downloaded episodes ever. 
And yes, it's because it hit a very touchy subject. Also, want to shout out my man, Awesome Jones, who, of course, makes the song that you, the beat that you hear underneath you to start the show. Shout out to my man, Doc Illensworth, who produces a majority of the soundtrack of this podcast that you hear. Big ups to any and everyone who supports the show top to bottom, whether this is your first time listening or your 150,000th time listening. Welcome. Damn it, welcome. We're almost to the biggest most monumental episode this podcast has ever done. And there will be information on that coming up at the end of the show. Episode 98 was Ebony Still Owes. And for the first part of episode 99, at least, I am going to give you a little update on that. First and foremost, you may recall at the back end and in parts of episode 98, I noted that there will be a companion piece written about the story of Josh David and Jasmine Washington, who I can't thank enough for, especially Josh. How anybody hasn't hired Josh already to run their social media, what the f*** are you waiting for? You, you waiting for somebody to vote on it? Go, go hire the dude. He's one of the best in the damn business, and he's only getting better. And I'm not just saying that because this dude has been out here pumping the show and the pieces I've written and everything else and helping to get my name out there. He's just really damn good at what he does. And the same thing goes for Jasmine Washington. I heard she started a new podcast as well. I'm going to get the information for her new podcast out there later on in the show. Welcome to the world of podcasting, Jasmine. It's a damn adventure. But episode 98 was, um, hmm. It was something. It was absolutely something. Because it came together quickly. And I mentioned there was a companion piece. The companion piece is up. The link to it is actually in the description of this podcast. And it was supposed to be in one publication, but suddenly it wasn't. Magically, the subject matter of it just apparently was not something they were willing to breach. That's cool. When you have a medium profile, you just put the whole damn thing on there and add to it. And the reception of that plus the podcast... It's led to a lot of conversation because I talked about it in the first part of episode 98. One of our biggest enemies as black people, especially black media, is ourselves. We struggle to support each other. We struggle to big up each other. We struggle to get ourselves over and out there because while, yes, it is a competition in certain aspects, there's still a lot of overtly competing to tamp down someone else's shine. We only want to put over about seven or eight people in this business, and everybody else pretty much has to fight like the proverbial crabs in the barrel. And when I got on the black press and I said that I take issue with any organization, no matter who runs it, no matter who it's geared to, if you don't pay your writers, but I take a special umbrage to people who claim to be for us and by us, and that's not shade to FUBU, by the way. Shout out to, to Damon John. I'd love to get on the squad with you sometime or get you on the show at some point. But if you claim to be for us and by us and about the community and about the uplifting of black people and telling black stories, cool. But pay them. Because if you don't pay them, if you don't honor your commitment, if you come to them talking about, well, you know, we can't pay a lot of money because we're financially strapped, and then you pull out of the parking lot in a Bentley, I have a hard time believing you. When you promise people you're going to pay them, 
and you don't, but yet you're still able to host galas and you're still out here showing off for the gram and showing off for the public and for the cameras. I don't have any respect for you. And ain't no level of black unity going to have me take it easy on you if you're out here not paying your writers. That's bullshit. Plain and simple. I don't abide by bullshit on my show or in my life. I don't do it. And neither should any young black writer, hell, any black writer, young or old. Just because you're a black paper doesn't mean you get a discount. It doesn't mean you get to not pay me for my work. What Ebony's doing to not just Josh and Jasmine, but to everyone they let go from the full-time staff, even prior to them firing them, and that's not even getting into what they did to the freelancers. And I'm not going to edit this one out. It's bullshit. It's 100% prime cut. It's not right. And after we did that interview, after we had that conversation, because remember, we don't, we don't have interviews. We have conversations. I got more information from Josh about what the hell else was going on. You remember during the, during the podcast, they mentioned, uh, Jasmine mentioned they didn't have health insurance. And I'm thinking, what the hell kind of place has people come in and work full time and not offer health insurance? Benefits. I get if you're part time and there are places that even give you benefits for working part time. If you're part of a union like I am soon to be, even working part time, you're getting benefits. So how the hell is this company that supposedly was bought by this new company not able to pay your health insurance? Where it turned out they were getting health insurance before it was cut off. Back in January. And another thing that disappeared were their 401ks. And now I posted on, on the Instagrams for both myself and the show about the 401ks. I put the photo up there and I mentioned, and I will read it verbatim here, the staff's 401k payments, which were being deducted from their non-existent checks, had not been matched since late last year. Now, Josh said that he had told CVG head Michael Gibson that there was a, he was told by him that there was a glitch in the system. But when he contracted, or excuse me, but when he contacted Transamerica, the brokerage firm that processes the payments, they said that Ebony was actually handling the 401k money directly. That, that sounds a little off. He later came to find out from another former staffer who's been investigating the matter that it appears that at least since February, there was no money going into their 401k accounts despite it being continually deducted. The money that's been coming out had been unaccounted for. Shortly after I posted the companion piece, Josh hits me up and sends me copies of pay stubs that Ebony is publicly putting out there trying to assert that they had paid the workers. The workers are saying those are fake pay stubs. They would rather go through the process of putting out fake pay stubs with all the deductions listed than actually pay them. What the ebony? What are you doing? When I said in the last episode 
that I have no respect for anyone who doesn't pay their riders, that doesn't honor their commitments, and that the black press, for as much as we, as we as black journalists and as much as the black press gets the raw end of the deal, there's a lot of issues in the black press that we don't want to touch on. There are still people right now who have been wronged by Ebony Magazine or wronged by some black paper or some black website or publication who will not speak out out of this bizarre black loyalty that they're afraid to make a black company look bad. You want to know what makes them look bad when they don't pay you. You want to know what makes you look bad when you look the other way. That's the thing that bothers me about all this. It's abusive. It's gross. It's gaslighting. It's convincing somebody that you've wronged that it's their fault, that they owe allegiance to you. That out of some loyalty, well, you wouldn't have worked. They, they, they gave you an opportunity. They didn't give me a fucking paycheck for three months. I'm sorry. My loyalty only goes as far as you taking care of me. And I don't care if you're a black-owned business, white-owned business, if you're a corporation, if you're a small company. I don't give a damn. Your, your print online broadcast, I don't give a sh- If you don't Honor your commitment, Fuck you. I'm going to go public. And that's what Josh and Jasmine are doing. And that's what others are starting to do, too. That's what the freelancers did. That's what Ebony O's was about. Because the thing is, it's not just Ebony. There are people, as I mentioned before, maybe they're not getting stiffed on payments, but they're getting lowballed. They're not getting paid what they're owed or what they're worth. And they're being told that you're getting experience. I got something you can experience. Can't pay rent with experience. As I mentioned before, I have written pieces of the same length for two different publications and one paid me five times more to do it. Fam, come on. We got to do better than this. Way better than this. For our people, for our sake. As of right now, Josh David still does not have a job, which I hate to say this, he's not careful he's gonna be having to fight to find a gig but he's so damn good at what he does jasmine has started a podcast because she's so damn good at what she does i was writing a companion piece that piece that's on medium again the link is in the description it was supposed to go someplace else but it suddenly got vetoed at the last minute It's a good thing the podcast came out first, but it got vetoed in the last minute out of some bizarre loyalty of not wanting to make Ebony look bad. What is that? Really, what is that? I get Ebony has a history. I talked about it in the piece. Ebony been around as long as my mother. It was founded in 1945. It's this iconic magazine in black culture. You can't go, you couldn't, You couldn't swing a dead cat in a room and not hit an Ebony magazine for about 50 years. I get it. Ebony and Jet were a part of our culture. But what do you do when the culture doesn't love you back? There's not that there is no loyalty amongst thieves. None. And that's what Ebony still owes was about. That's what that conversation was about. That's what this conversation is about. 
Show me something. Give me a reason to be loyal to you. Too often, black journalists are expected to put their heads down and just take it because, well, let's keep it a buck. A lot of members of the black press know that many of our asses aren't going to get a shot initially, and they figure we're just going to take whatever they offer. And if they choose not to pay us, where the hell else are you going to go? It's an awful reality for so many black journos, young or old. It's BS. That's why I have these conversations. That's why I like to touch on these uncomfortable subject matters. Why the hell do you think I had to sit there with my mentions full of these full of these rape apologist morons when I went after R. Kelly twice? Why do you think I have to put up with the occasional Trump supporting jag off in such things as episode 23? When I got people at the radio station I used to work for snitching to management because I basically told the truth that a lot of people in that newsroom also felt. We keep it real here. That's how this podcast has made it through 99 episodes. Because it's part of the reason why this podcast is still me and and a mic and a mixer board and a laptop. And in this case, an office that allows for good acoustics. It's because I'm fearless enough to do this because I know it might cost me. A couple of sponsors. It might cost me an opportunity to get on a network. But there's also a lot of people who feel what I have to say. I got a ton of positive responses and positive reactions to that damn episode. For sake, Chuck D from Public Enemy followed me after that. Chuck fucking D. 30 years after Fight the Power, I got the front man for Public Enemy dropping a follow on my ass on Twitter. That made my whole damn month, man. But I don't just do it for the accolades. I want people to have these uncomfortable conversations because I'm at my most comfortable when your ass isn't. And I'm getting ready to head down to Miami for the NABJ convention. Oh, boy. There's going to be some more coming up. In fact, we're going to hit to a break because we got to talk about going down to Miami, going to NABJ. But we're also going to talk about leadership. Because I feel that this is necessary. There aren't enough leaders. There are plenty of people who think they're leaders, but we don't have enough leaders out here. And it's about time that changed. So coming up, we're going to talk about a little bit of leadership. I'm going to take y'all to the learning tree and give y'all a little bit, a little bit of that JSC knowledge that you probably need to hear right now. Because this is the 99th episode of JSC Radio, damn it. And apparently I got to give y'all just a little bit of a lesson on leadership and a little word to the wise to the young journos and the up-and-coming journos as we head down to Miami for the biggest damn journalist convention slash party of the year. Let's make sure that you don't end up on that Summer Jam screen. My name's Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 99th episode. Nonenta Inueve. Of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. And we'll be back after this. I was just about to say that you can't go to like Navian and Donut or any of your loan providers and be like, hey, I have an IOU from Ebony Magazine. Like, that's not going to work. You can't right. go to your landlord and say, like, hey, I have an IOU from Ebony Magazine. Like, no, we all have bills. 
Yeah. Life doesn't stop. Yeah. And I think that's my biggest gripe, that it's just a lack of concern for our well-being. Like, what are we supposed to do? We worked hard for all of this. You're listening to The People's Podcast. I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, what's happening? Jay Scott Smith here, and I understand you like JSC Radio. I mean, if you didn't, you wouldn't be listening to me right now. But there's a better way to not only listen to JSC Radio, but to also get paid. You heard me, get paid to listen to podcasts. Just get the PodCoin app on iPhone or Android. It's free and easy to use. It turns your podcast listening experience into money that can go to charity, or if you just want to get an Amazon or a Starbucks gift card, just use PodCoin. For every podcast you listen to, you get PodCoin that goes into an account. By the way, the app is free. It goes into an account, and the more you listen, the more PodCoin you get. You can turn those PodCoins into gift cards. Seriously, just go get the PodCoin app, and you can even use the invite code JSC Radio. You'll get 300 PodCoin just for signing up if you use this show's code. Once again, use the invite code JSC Radio to get 300 PodCoin. Give it a try today. Go download the PodCoin app now and enjoy JSC Radio. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to The People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter. I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F*** you. This is J.S.C. Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. I want to just reiterate once again that this is not an attack on Ebony Magazine. John H. Johnson and Miss Unique Johnson gave their life to this publication, Okay. And you have to understand that even talking about this in the negative light, it, it, it hurts your heart because this is all this is one of the few that we have. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so people have to understand that it's not it's not the bashing, it's the fact that we have to talk against a company that I've been working with the last almost two years of my life and making incredible movements, in my opinion, on content for black people. So this isn't an attack on Ebony. This is an attack on, on, this is what it looks like when heritage companies get bought and, and aren't handled properly with business decisions. This is the 99th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. Welcome back once again. Want to shout out my man, Doc Ellingsworth. Of course, he's been the man who's been producing the soundtrack for most of this damn podcast's history. Now, I can't give you the exact episode when we first started really banging Ellingsworth's tracks on here, but it was pretty early 
in the damn game. Be sure to get at him on Bandcamp, bandcamp.com slash Illingsworth. Shout out to Mellow Music Group that helped put out his album, You're No Fun. It's also on Spotify right now, too. So be sure to go get your No Fun. Of course, you can hear the show on Spotify and on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on iHeartRadio, PodCoin, as you heard during the break, and every damn place else you get your friggin' podcast. This is just what we do here, man. It's just what we do. And I talked about it going into the break. We're talking about leadership here. Now, to give you an understanding of where this is coming from with me, because here's the thing, and I've mentioned it before, that I am branching out into doing, into doing some consulting work and being able to tell more stories and one of the things is I also get asked a lot of questions about what it's like working in newsrooms. Now, here's the here's the odd little secret about me. I've been an editor before, but I haven't led in a lot of newsrooms. I've only been a guy who has worked in a lot of newsrooms and been in a lot of cringy situations when it comes to dealing with leadership, quote unquote. I've also worked with some guys who are incredible at what they do because they don't micromanage. They don't overthink things. They don't just try to push the envelope and push and shove things. And I also have long made it a point to compare sports to a lot of things. Here's the thing about being a journalist, especially someone who's covered sports before. There's a lot of elitism toward sports journalists, a ton just like there's a lot of elitism toward broadcasters from print journals who think that broadcast, particularly radio, they think that radio is easy. They think you just show up and just read. And it's not true. And inside of the journalistic ranks, whether it's TV, radio, online, print, whatever, there's always been a bit of a snooty elitism towards sports writers. It's this idea that you just cover sports. You're not a real journalist. You cover sports. You cover sports. You don't do real news. You're not a real journalist. You just sit there and watch games. Hey, hey, morons. Your favorite political journalist started off covering basketball games. Your favorite news anchor was a stringer in a sports office. He covered high school baseball, high school basketball, covered football at a small college or small conferences. So many metaphors for sports are used in everyday language, but yet people want to sh- on what we do. They want to act like covering sports is easy when that is by far the hardest. If you can cover sports, you can cover anything because you get to understand life. You get to work quickly as a journalist. You get, you get to learn how to be able to compartmentalize things, work on exceedingly tight deadlines. Because if you, you're covering a game, the weirdest and strangest part of a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game is seeing reporters basically fleeing off press row as soon as those triple zeros hit and heading right for the back because we got work to do. Sports is where you learn. Sports is really a way of life. It's a metaphor for life, as I've said so often on this podcast. And I saw a quote that really got me to thinking about the confluence of sports and leadership. It was in an article that was dealing with Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, the guy who ripped out my heart in the 2011 Big Ten Championship game. We're going to leave that alone. This quote, simply put, says, I remember seeing Russ coming out of college and thinking, man, this guy is not going to be able to drop back from under center. The coach then goes on to say, I was a young coach not realizing, hey, dumbass, you get to construct your offense around your players' strengths. 
So when I say sports is a metaphor for life, I'm saying that because there are so many successful coaching philosophies that can work in the outside world, particularly in media. And that particular quote slapped me upside the head because it's made me think of the last few places I've worked, not counting working as a professor at Lincoln University because it's a totally different mindset. I look at how, say, out of the last three places, the first two are so fundamentally flawed because they've spent so much time trying to shoehorn star-shaped pegs into round holes. I've worked in newsrooms with exceptional talents who either don't reach their full potential or somehow succeed despite subpar leadership because they're so rigidly forced into these predetermined positions, even if they have a skill set that doesn't fit the old way of thinking, and they could actually innovate it and change it and make it work. But leadership, and I put that in quote marks, doesn't want to hear that. I, I compare this to, let's just say you're a baseball player. And you've always been a baseball player. And you can hit, but you've got a particular couple of positions that you can play better than others. Let's just say you're a really, really, really good first baseman. That's your, that's your A position. That's the one where as soon as you show up to the, to the ballpark, you've got a first base glove in your hand. Because first base is your thing. You're pretty good at third base. You've got the you've got the mobility, the footwork to be able to play third. And in a pinch, in a pinch, they could put you in one of the corner outfield spots. And yes, if it sounds like I'm talking about myself, it's because I am. You get to the field and everybody knows you're a great first baseman. It's why you got signed to the team. It's why they brought you on. They know that they can put you at third base and not lose much of anything by putting you at that corner. They know that if things get really wonky, and they need to stick you in the outfield, have you play right field for a while, you can get the job done. So, of course, you show up there. They brought you in here knowing your skill skill set, not your skill shit. I'm not talking about a pony. They know your skill set and recognizing that this is your skill set and this is what you do, you show up day one on the team, having been signed to play first base, You're getting ready to run out onto the field for practice with your first base glove, and suddenly the coach who signed you because you have all those skills pulls you aside and says, hey, we're going to put you at shortstop. But I've never played the middle infield. I'm not a shortstop. Oh, you can do it, but I've never. Can I at least get time to learn the position? No, just go do it, but I'm not a shortstop. Sure you are. Go do it. You brought me here to play first base. Well, yeah, but you're going to play short. And then you get out there to shortstop and you're kicking the ball all over the place. You're late to break on things. You're trying to you, you don't have the the hand eye coordination to get the ball transferred over from your glove to, from your from your glove hand to your to your bare hand to try to flip it over to second base. You're not sure where to cover when the ball goes into the outfield. You're getting beat on easy plays. You're not getting tags down. And the coach yells and screams at you and says you're a poor performer. And clearly you aren't what they were expecting because you can't play a position that you weren't meant to play. That is what faulty leadership is. It's faulty leadership where you don't recognize the obvious problem. Instead of embracing that ability to play your position in a new way or play the position you're supposed to play, they keep right on forcing that same person into the same spot and then blame them when it invariably fails, especially when you don't offer any guidance. Being a leader is more than just being in charge. Any doofus can lead. Any idiot 
can be handed the title of head coach or supervisor or director or editor or department head. Any jackass can lead, can be in charge. Real people have to lead. And, and I keep coming back to it. I get invariably looked at like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when I bring these things up. I've seen people who come in a room and command instant respect and are willing to see, okay, this is how you do things. Let's make this work. Let's see how this happens. Let's see how you can do this. What ideas do you have? A good leader isn't hell-bent on sticking to the script all the time. And their plan isn't always going to work because occasionally you have to, as that coach said about Russell Wilson, tailor your offense to the players you have. If you understand that you've got a couple of people whose best skill is talking, use them to talk. If you've got somebody who's an exceptional writer and they're not very good at talking, you want to know what that dude's doing? He's f***ing writing. That's what he's doing. Talk to the people who work with you, not under you, because that's some of that limiting language. That's that in charge language that they're my subordinates. They work under me. They work for me. No, they work with you. They're nothing. Or check that, you're nothing without them. You don't have shit from Shinola without them. You lead. You have to lead. I've seen kids in my class, that, in classes that I've taught, where they may not have the strongest test-taking skills or they may be missing one thing here or one thing there, but if I put them in a group setting, I got a couple of kids that are like quarterbacks. That as soon as this thing gets going, they turn into Peyton Manning or they turn into Tom Brady or they turn into Aaron Rodgers and they get it done. They can move. They can delegate. They think quickly on your feet. That's leadership. And that's leadership is something that's that's not innate in everybody. You have to be taught to lead. I had to be taught to lead because I wasn't always a guy who wanted to make noise and get in front. I've been in situations at my current other job. Shout out to y'all where we've had moments where we had to think on our feet and we've got people in the room who know what they're doing, but they're only working on certain things. And you got to come up with a way to make it easier because I'm not an editor. I'm not in charge. I'm not a director or anything like that. But when it comes down to the situation, if something jumps off, you got to think quick and like, all right, how about we try this? Go do this. I got this. You handle that. You got to think quickly. And you can't be so insecure and worry about your position that you stifle the voices of the people who work with, not under, with you. You can't be so hell-bent on proving that you got the biggest set of you-know-what, the biggest set of huevos in the room, that you're not willing to listen to those who work with you, that your way is the right way and the only way. Got to here. That's why there's such a leadership vacuum in so many companies. That's why there's a leadership vacuum in so many newsrooms. Too many people are either too stubborn, too stuck on stupid, or too scared to actually lead. They only lead when they need to preserve their own job. They love the title. They don't like the work. And that's what's led to some of the problems we have 
as a media member, it's led to what some of the problems that we have, that people haven't been mad enough to get out in front and lead. They're too easy. They're too easily distracted. It's too easy for a lot of people these days to sit back and just let things happen. I think about what we have going on in media right now with the term racist. Those of you who follow me on Instagram, you might have noticed I had a story up about a week ago where I had to make a little edit on a phrase. That phrase is racially offensive. That phrase is racially charged, racially tinged, racially adjacent, racially fluffed, racially singed, racially touched, racially kissed, racially sweetened, racially salted. Whatever other type of way you like your racism, guess what? It's all f***ing racist. And we don't have as many leaders willing to just call it what it is, racism. Instead, we want to couch things out of fear. We're afraid. We don't want to take the lead on things. We don't have someone in a newsroom willing to stand up and just say, this is not right. We will not allow this on our air, or we will not allow this to go unchecked or unfettered. And when someone like a reporter would stand up, they get silenced. I've talked about on the on the Noble Journalist episode, episode 85, I talked about having a, a column I wrote pulled because it was, quote, offensive to Trump supporters when all it did was talk about how it affected communities of color and the LGBT. And wouldn't you know who won the friggin' pony? Damn near everything I wrote in that piece has come to fruition. And yet we still have people in high-ranking positions trying to tell journalists, some of these people who are people of color themselves, trying to tell journalists not to use the word racist when we see things like are happening in front of us. It's easy to adopt the status quo and hang on to it. Being in charge, you can do that. Leaders are willing to push the envelope. Leaders are willing to take stands, change things, stop doing things just because it's the way we've always done them. It's checkers. It's not chess. If you want to be a good leader, listen to the people who work with you. Be open to doing things differently than everybody else. Be willing to give room and leeway to creativity. Be willing to play to the strength of your people. If you've got someone who's a damn good first baseman and your current first baseman ain't no good, but he would be better off playing, I don't know, shortstop, make the switch. Don't just do things because you feel like you have to stick to them. You don't have to stick to the status quo. And God forbid you make a few changes, you listen to the people who work with you, and things get better. And you know who gets the damn credit? The person who is leading the charge, not simply being in charge. Get your shit right. And by the way, the word is racist or homophobic or sexist or xenophobic. If it's racist, call it racist. The friggin' AP style book told your ass this earlier this year. I don't want to, I don't care about, if you're telling me that that what they said is racist. Am I to assume the policies are? Am I to? Yes. Generally, yes. Especially when there's a multitude of evidence. But a leader would see that and stop being afraid. Stand up. Be a leader. Lead from the front, not from the rear. 
Anybody, and I mean anybody, can be in charge. Few can actually lead. Now, before I go, this is coming to the end of episode 99. 99. When I first started doing this podcast back in March of 2016, and I've mentioned it on a few different episodes, the original germ of an idea of JSC Radio started as far back as 2013 while I was still in Michigan. But I didn't have the means to get this thing started and get it to the point where it is now. We now look at episode 100, and parts of that, if not the entire thing, will be done in Miami, Florida during this year's National Association of Black Journalists Convention. It is by far the biggest convention for black journalists and editors and broadcasters and hell, even PR people in the country. There's going to be a lot of people there. And there are some plans and some things that I want to get done in Miami, including a surprise guest that we'll be able to get on here for the 100th episode. And it's somebody where when you think about the history of this show, kind of makes total sense for episode 100 to feature this person. But while I'm on the subject of NABJ, about a week ago, a young man decided he wanted to get on Twitter and attempt to put ESPN's Bomani Jones on some sort of blast because he tried to approach Bomani at a bar during an ABJ. I don't know whether it was in Detroit last year or in New Orleans two years ago or whatever. And he tries to approach Bomani at a bar while he is uh, in the company of some ladies. And this young man felt that would be the time to try to stroll up and start networking. And when Bomani basically told him to beat it, he got in his feelings. And he decided to articulate these feelings, got on Twitter and decided that he was just going to make a name for himself and try to put Bomani on fucking blast. And it didn't end well for him in the least. I have to say he earned it. He earned that ass whooping online. A lot of respected journos, including people of my experience level, higher experience levels, and even the youngsters. I actually kind of like the fact that some young cats got with him and said, bro, what are you doing? Because when you do something like that, you open yourself up. Because guess what? NABJ is a professional conference with a lot of personal moments. And networking is great. But remember this. When you get to Miami, or when you get to D.C. next year, or when you get to Houston in two years, nobody owes you Anything, not a job, not a card, not their time, nothing, not a damn thing. You approach people there the way you would approach someone at a job or at a mixer or at a meeting. If someone is eating or relaxing or reading or at a bar or whatever they happen to be doing, please tread lightly on people. Don't just go rolling up on someone while they're at breakfast. Think of the scene in Training Day where Denzel is sitting there reading his newspaper. Alonzo, if you will, is sitting there reading his newspaper and having his coffee in the diner when Hoyt walks in, sits down in front of him, and gets to yapping. And Denzel finally gets frustrated, looks up at Hoyt, and says to him, can I read my paper? I'm somebody where I would say... About 85% of the time, if we're keeping it keeping it real, if someone were to walk up to me in like the hotel lobby, hotel restaurant while I'm having breakfast and I'm probably just having my morning cup of coffee and I'm 
reading up on day's news or whatever. I'm, I'm, maybe I have my headphones on and I'm listening to a podcast while eating my breakfast. If someone walked up to me and approached me correctly, there's about an 85% chance I'd say, have a seat, talk to me, tell me your story. Let's get to know each other. But you got to understand, I'm not everybody. So when you come up in my space, and even if you find me at the 15% of the time that I would not be open to it, please understand it's usually that I'm eating or that I'm tired or that I need a moment. Be careful of rolling up on people. Respect their damn space. And I cannot stress this enough. I cannot stress it enough. Stay the off of social media talking about any and all bad or awkward encounters you have with people. If you think you're putting them on blast and trying to expose them as terrible people by talking about your very shitty meeting with them, the only person who looks bad is you. It does not matter how bad it was. Nobody knows who you are yet and nobody cares. It looks bad on you, not them. It, it, you know what it looks like and you know what that and, and what the young man looked like going at Bomani. He acted like one of those weirdo dudes who cat calls and harasses women in supermarkets or in gas stations or on the street who five minutes earlier, he was pressing all over her to try to get the number to try to get her to talk to him. And when once she says, beat it, hit the bricks, suddenly he's off on the side calling her ugly or something worse. Don't act like a jilted cat caller. Be a grown up. Thinking you're putting someone high profile on blast. It only makes you look petty and look lame and unprofessional. The shit ain't a good look. Don't do that. Have fun. Network. Get your business cards in. If somebody wants your resume, have it ready. Have your business cards ready. Have your contact info ready. Make sure that your that that the link to your to your reel or your portfolio or your air check is on the damn business card and on the resume. Do both. Cover your bases. Make sure you look the part. Look good. Get your shit to the cleaners. Get your suit ready. You're going to be in Miami. It's early August. It's going to be hot. Have you have your nice outfit for the night ready. Come prepared. Come correct. Do what's right because this is a big deal. NABJ helped make me. And yes, while I have plenty of issues of how they do business and how the leadership allows certain things to go on and certain things to kind of go unchecked, i.e. Fox News continuing to have a booth there despite the fact that they've attacked black journalists and they spend every day pandering to the lowest common denominator of racist. They still have a booth at our convention and we welcome them and their money with open arms. And that bothers me. But NABJ made me. They got me over the hump as a journalist. They got me through the door with places like Grio. They got me through the door. It's kept me in pocket. I've made so many professional contacts. I've, I've made so many friends since the first time I jumped off that plane in San Diego in 2010 and went to my first convention. And I want to continue to see that happen because I'm approaching 40 years old. I'm not the young cat I was when I showed up in 2010. And I want to make sure that this next generation, because I'm at this part now where I'm trying to stack this years of information and years of experience that I have and make something even bigger out of it. But don't blow your opportunity before it starts by being a head on social media because someone was actually just trying to hang out and you came up to them at the wrong time. Grow up, show up, 
and be ready to make that. God damn it. I don't want to rhyme, but show up, grow up, and be ready to make that glow up. I'm sorry. I I apologize for that in advance. Coming up next is episode 100. I can't give you an exact date on when, because the way things are with my schedule now, you're getting one podcast a month, maybe two. But the next one is a big one. It's episode 100. It's likely going to occur either while I'm in Miami or after I get back. I'm going to have a special guest on there. I'm going to talk a lot about the history of this podcast. I'm going to talk about the future because I've got guests lined up for episodes 101 and 102. But for the most part, episode 100 is going to be the crowning achievement of this thing. Because when I first started doing this in 2014 and 15, where I had the initial ideas before finally just saying F it and doing it in 2016 and rolling through so many stretches and figuring out if this were a sports show or if we want to do certain things dealing with politics and we want to, there's so much there to get to 100 episodes of a podcast where so many people have quit after 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 episodes. This shit ain't easy, man. As that doofus in the New York Times found out, that writer who just thought you just showed up and talked and your podcast is going to blow up. This ain't easy. To get through 99 episodes of this, with everything I've been through, everything I've dealt with, the multitude of jobs and all this personal and professional strife and triumph that I've seen, to be able to have done so many of these, I'm just thankful to those of you who have rocked with me all of the way, most of the way, or if you're just getting on the train now. Thank you so damn much. The next episode, CN. 100. Let's get it. My name is J. Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. And we are out of here. Until next time from South Beach. Goodbye, everybody. You're listening to the People's Podcast. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is JSC Radio. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.